This is the magicwordpodcast.com. Hello, this is Scott Wells for the magicwordpodcast.com. I hope that everyone is having a wonderful holiday season, and also as you're going to and from your different engagements where you're performing and spreading joy and happiness to all of your audiences, that you bring us along. I want you to dip back into the archives and listen to some of these episodes that perhaps you may not have heard before, or you might want to listen to another one again because there's probably something that you missed. I know I like to go back and listen to them from time to time. It's like, oh, I forgot that he or she had said this or that, and that was very important, and I can apply that now, and I should have been using that all along. Anyhow, I hope that you guys and gals are having a great time uh, this season. We've still got a couple of weeks left to go before the uh, Christmas uh, Day hits. Us and before the new year will bring us new opportunities and joy. Well, this week's episode is another one of those that I had recorded at a magic convention earlier this year when I was attending the Texas Association of Magicians convention. There were some amazing performers there. It was one of the better TAOM conventions I can remember in recent years. Anyhow, one of the people that I talked with. Uh, I had posted earlier, and that was with Steve Valentine. And uh, today we're going to give you another one that I chatted with, and that is Christopher Carter. Chris has been a, a longtime friend of mine from Chicago, Illinois, and he is a college entertainer uh, and also a keynote speaker for corporations and has uh, won multiple awards, actually, uh, in, for being a college entertainer. And in this episode, there are a lot of secrets that he shares. I mean, there is a ton of information and suggestions and advice that he gives. And uh, I I think everybody's going to get something out of this, even if you don't do colleges or don't plan to. But I know that several of the things that he talks about will apply to you directly in your business as well. So please welcome my guest this week, Mr. Christopher Carter, here on The Magic Order. All the way from Chicago, Illinois, actually, up in Michigan. That's another story. And perhaps I might get into that. <laughs> is my guest right now for today. Uh, someone who is a mind reader, mentalist, and someone also who has been on the college circuit for a long time. And uh, he probably won some awards uh, for working college circuit. Quite a few of them, Quite a actually. Few. <laughs> which I'm, I'm very happy about. I mean, just to be honored in that uh, arena by, yeah. by people who... Who, whose choices really matter because you're, when you're awarded, you're awarded by the buyers. And they have a lot to choose from as well. That was the voice of, and my, my guest today, Christopher Carter. Hey there, Christopher. How are you, sir? Hey, I am great, <laughs> Scott. I'm glad to have you uh, chat here today. So uh, when you do get the awards, uh, I'm kind of jumping way ahead about <laughs> all of this, uh, that is given by each individual school that is voting or is a, uh, or a particular school or a yeah, group? Yeah, the, the, the awards are awarded by various associations. There's the National Association of Campus Activities. NACA, otherwise known yes, as NACA. APCA, Association for the Promotion of Campus Activities. And, uh, and then for a very, very long time, publishing situations have changed, so it's no longer in business. But there was a magazine called Campus Activities Magazine mm-hmm. 
And is that online? I assume now a digital thing. Or? No, it, it has gone. It's gone altogether. Okay, okay. Yeah, it's, a, it's a kind of a whole new world in the campus field, and hmm. uh, their 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 mark. They tried to go online. It it didn't work, but they did a Reader's Choice Award. Uh, so theirs was voting available to every campus of any kind in the country. Mm-hmm. Uh, APCA is awarded uh, by the various regions who get together and choose. And NACA, uh, all of those awards are uh, voted by the campuses as well, the mm-hmm. member campuses of that organization. I see. And so the voters themselves are students, I assume. That is correct. Okay. And then uh, they have to have attended the thing in order to have to vote on the people. Yes, also, okay. also correct. So you can't just say, well, I heard something my girlfriend said they were pretty good, and so I voted for this guy, or he wasn't. Right. You had to have actually attended and seen that. Mm-hmm. Okay. And I know that when you go to NACA and other uh, conventions where you're pitching yourself and you're highlighting or featured uh, performers for them to make those choices, then um, there's usually a group, two or three people, I guess, who are students who will attend these things and make the choices of who that they yeah, want. exactly. And so those are the ones who actually are voting, or mm-hmm. is it the entire school population who attend? Uh, well, uh, it, it depends a little bit on the awards, but yes, it, it ultimately the the ones who are voting are the members of the campus activities committee. Mm-hmm. Um, they're not necessarily always the ones who are attending the conference. They could be the ones who saw you at the show on campus. Mm-hmm. Uh, again, it depends on the awards, but yes, the, the people who are voting for you are generally the people who brought you to campus. Yeah, that makes sense, certainly. And what awards then have you won? I know it's multiple, but uh, perhaps just a few. Name okay. <laughs> uh, Performing Arts Entertainer of the Year, uh, Best Live Artist, Best Mentalist of the Year. Uh, not Best Mentalist, it was simply Mentalist of the Year. That was APCA. Uh, Campus Entertainer of the Year with various organizations. Got that from NACA, APCA, and uh, the um, uh, Campus Activities Magazine. Uh, I, I don't know. I've got maybe six or seven of these things on my wall at home. <laughs> and when you go to attend uh, these uh, as well or in performing for those, uh, it's during the school season, I guess, obviously yes. during the nine-month period. How many schools do you typically work? I, I should ask two questions. At the peak of your performances, uh, how many did you do and how many do you currently do? Yeah, because it's really radically different. I know. Uh, I am I – am, I remain in the campus market, but I'm I'm far from the dominant force or even a dominant force in the campus market now because I do so much other and so corporate work or yeah, something. Yeah, right, okay. exactly, corporate work. Um, so I, I retain the campuses have had me for years and years. I don't go out and do showcases at my peak for about 15 years. I did about 200 campuses a year. 200 a year. I know, you which is not, easy. No, it's not even possible today. <laughs> the way that they book and organize them, it couldn't even be done. Yeah. I would think the driving between each of those campuses is really yes. crazy. Um, yeah. Oh, my gosh. The, the amount of miles I ended up on my, on my car in those days. Because in those days, it was mostly driving. Um, I, that began to shift as the way that campuses booked began to shift. That, that's a function of what was called co-op buying or what we would typically call block booking. Mm-hmm. So you go to a conference and one school says, fantastic, we saw your showcase, we want you. And then they go into a block booking session where they say the date they want you and other schools who are nearby 
can bid on you as well. Mm -hmm. And they form blocks so that you maybe do three within a few days or five within a somewhat longer period. And they get uh, a a discount on the per show, but you're doing great because you're getting it throughout the week. Right. And then my, my agency was just terrific at booking community and technical colleges that weren't part of the association. So I would do a noon show at a two-year institution, mm -hmm. and then I would do an evening show, and I would just bounce. Uh, there were some weeks when I, I did as many as nine shows in a week. Wow. Wow. And, and that was when you were driving, I guess, yes, back and forth. Yes, exactly. Because I want to compare you, and many times I will throughout this, our, our conversation with Vanacek, because as a mentalist then as well, and someone who used to be on the college circuit before he's been in Vegas and other things he's been doing, I, I remember him driving, and he had a, a, a van, basically, and he would sleep in the van and go in between these places, and, and the weather, he was always telling me he had to drive through and whatnot. Oh, my gosh, yes, the weather. <laughs> now, I, I never did the van thing, but I, I, I did stay in a hotel, which was often highly variable. In those days, they were mm. provided by, by the colleges. We they don't do that. No, we, typically they do buyouts now. Oh. Uh, sometimes they will, but mm -hmm. uh, it, you know, it varies. I ended up moving to offering a travel buyout. You just pay me a certain amount. Don't worry, I'll figure it out. Mm -hmm. But uh, in those days, I had much more that were provided by the hotel. So you might end up in someplace halfway decent, like a Holiday Inn Express. You might end up in a Super 8 somewhere. Mm -hmm. uh, as I got better status in that world. I got a little bit pickier and said what the kind of hotels I was willing to tolerate. Yeah. And, it, and at that point, that's when I started moving to the buyouts. Yeah. When I first met you, I saw you, I think it was at The Fish. Uh, it was sort of The Fish Tank or something. You were doing a one-man show in Chicago. And you've done a couple. I've seen two of your shows up there uh, before. Do you remember what I'm talking about? Yes. Um, I'm trying to remember. It, was, it wasn't called The Fish Tank, although it maybe changed it. It's called the Live Bait Theater. I do go. remember that. That goes back okay. a long way. That's why way. I think Thick and Fish, <laughs> yeah, Live Bait. So I know it goes back a long way. And the reason I'm referencing that time is because were you you were doing uh, school shows at that time. At that yeah. time. Oh, gosh. Yeah, that was summertime because that was the only time I could do anything like mm -hmm. that. Mm -hmm. That was kind of a vanity project. Hmm. And uh, yeah, at that time, I was really busy, really busy at those days. And, uh, yeah, I remember the show well. We'll get back to that uh, again a little bit uh, later. But as far as uh, doing the shows, were you getting into the college market consciously? as like, this is where I want to go. I see this as yes, an opportunity. absolutely. Because I remember Danny Haney was saying, I feel like that I'm finishing on the top. I'm getting out because I think college shows or college circuit is going to be going down. And he always told me he regretted that decision because it did not go no, down. No, no, it actually went <laughs> up even yeah. maybe from when he was. Yeah, when he quit. Because uh, yeah. I remember watching his tour schedule uh, as I was thinking about getting into this. And so campus. is he inspirational? Or what, what made you get into that? Uh, he, he wasn't a specific inspiration for me, but yes, he was inspirational. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Um, I think that the new tops would publish his tour schedule. Hmm. Uh, and you'd follow that on the, and program. I would follow that. Yes. Um, so yeah, it grew, it grew from that point. And so I, I hit it at a really good time. You're at the right place, the right time and everything. You were single at the time or you just got married? No, no, I, I had been married for actually quite a while. Mm -hmm. Um, I, I got married, uh, just out of college, went to grad school. My wife and I, uh, lived in Michigan for four years while I went to grad school. Mm -hmm. Then I, I got to Chicago and I, I originally had intended to be a close-up magician. And really? I, uh, I like did, working at some of the Chicago bars? Yeah, kind of exactly. Okay. Exactly. And, and then I realized, no, I really like being on stage. Mm -hmm. And mentalism is, is the right place for me. I also, uh, at, around that time, learned hypnosis. And so uh, I would spend my summers at that time 
doing hypnosis shows at outdoor fairs and festivals where hmm. I opened for many a dinosaur rock act. Yeah. You know, okay. I call them the dinosaur rock acts because oh. uh, they... Um, they were like 80s bands or something? No, they were, oh my gosh, they, 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 they would have loved to have been 80s bands, but no. <laughs> they, were, they were bands that were popular uh, almost before I was born. Okay, oh, way back. Okay, they really are dinosaur rock. Okay. Not all of them. Um, Fogat. Uh, okay, I remember Fogat. That was back in the 60s, 70s. Yeah, right, exactly. Um, I opened for the Birds Reunion. Wow, that must have been something. Absolutely no original birds in the band. <laughs> they were their offspring. They were the baby birds. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Okay. Wow. Uh, and what was that like to the screaming crowd who was wanting the main acts like, get off the stage. We're ready for the birds. Or it was actually great. Uh, it, would, it was actually great because the way that the fairs worked, uh, you know, I'd get an hour basically to work with these guys. So I was, as they were coming in and the audience was sitting up and kind of making their camp because mm -hmm. it was uh, an opportunity for them to just cut loose and have fun before the big event. Well, doing mentalism on stage, I think would be a little bit easier than trying to bounce around doing some illusions, particularly if you are going to be, you're going to front a band because then you got to get your stuff out of the way, but your equipment is fairly light the way that you were well, bringing Well, it was even things. lighter then because that was with the hypnosis show. Oh, you lighter then. Yeah, exactly right. You it was a microphone and yeah. some, some, in those days, cassette tapes that I would tell them when to play them. <laughs> okay. And so you were just having uh, people come up in the audience to... Uh, to induct them. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Who inspired you then to be a hypnotist? I mean, and whose whose well, courses did you take? Um, I, I had a, uh, a a good friend who I had grown up. Well, actually, he was a grown up, but I was growing up in Springfield, Illinois. His name was Kent Sorrells, just a terrific guy. And he taught me stage hypnosis. And then later I took the National Guild of Hypnotists hypnotherapy program. But the other big, big influence for me was uh, a guy named Bob Brown, who you may remember. remember Bob. Yeah, Bob Report and Brenda? Rate. Yeah. Mean? No, different, Not that different, different Bob Brown. Brown. Okay. Yeah, this one was from Iowa, and he had been uh, an Iowa fair worker for ages and ages. He ended up uh, living at Magic Inc. in Chicago oh. and being a counterman there for a while. And, and that's when I... I really relied on him a lot to teach me a lot about stage hypnosis. Mm -hmm. And he was good because he had kind of the old Carney's take on stage hypnosis. How's that different? What do you uh, mean? It's different because it knows how to uh, create a hypnosis show under the most adverse of possible conditions. Hmm. I mean, I, I think of it as knowing the real secrets of how to do a stage hypnosis show. Mm -hmm. I was I, I saw Steve Daly do this as Tiny Bubbles one time yeah. in a gay bar. Steve, he was yeah. in Houston, and I was there with Chipper Merrill and my wife and Trixie and her husband and some, some other people. Anyhow, uh, I remember it was like not until like one o'clock in the morning before he got started with the act. And of course, all these guys were had been drinking right. a lot. Everybody been drinking. And, and Chip said, "I'll bet you twenty bucks he's not going to be able to induct one person." And like five minutes into it, he gave me twenty. Said, "I couldn't believe it. He did it. He was amazing." <laughs> And got everybody quieted yeah. down and listening, you know. I mean, it's like just, you can almost hear a pin drop. It's like, holy cow, this place is packed with people reveling and, and laughing. And, you know, exactly. so. So that made it a great show to do uh, at these fairs because people were ready to have fun and they really just wanted to see themselves on stage yeah. having fun. Mm -hmm. And so I got to stand up and take credit for that. <laughs> but it got too hot. And also my real love at that point was mentalism. You and want to be in a theater where it had air conditioning. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Exactly. So that's uh, when 
uh, I decided that college campuses were probably a good place, and mm -hmm. I began in that period to start to make the transition into college campuses. And when you were traveling, I don't suppose that your wife had traveled with you. I assume she had another job of her own, and so well, she was actually my manager, or oh, okay. really more quickly, my my office manager. I had an agency that I worked with. I was booked in colleges exclusively, in fact, have been exclusively booked through agencies my entire college campus career. Mm -hmm. Uh, with the exception of like the very first one or two. Mm -hmm. But she was my office manager. There's no way I could have kept things going without somebody at home kind of man in the fort. That's good advice there, what you just said, to make sure that you have someone else. You, even though we think we can do it all, we try to do it all, you're going to let something slip through the crack, and you cannot do that and be a professional. No, absolutely. And what about uh, representation? How do you find representation? Get seen. And and maybe get lucky. Uh, showcase at the NACA. Yes, NACA. right. So that's what happened to me. I showcased on my own, picked up some gigs, but an agent saw me and said, hey, would you like to work with us? Hmm. At which point I said, absolutely. <laughs> at, and they turned out not to be a, they weren't bad, but they were not a particularly great agency. But what they ended up doing was selling me to another agency that was great. Mm -hmm. So the other agency had uh, spots they needed to fill in. Mm -hmm. and uh, they were friends with the agent that I had at the time. I ended up working for, we'll just call them Agency B. Well, I'll tell you who Agency B was, but I'm not going to tell you who Agency A, A, A was. Okay. Um, agency B was called REO Professional Artists, run by a guy named Ross REO. And that ended up transforming into Bass Schuler Entertainment, who represents me today. So mm -hmm. basically, Ross retired and... The two agents who worked under him, Scott Bass and Chris Schuler, recreated the agency. I see. And so, uh, yeah, Akash, that was 1996 I started working with them. Mm -hmm. And so it's been quite a while. It sounds like it has been a good relationship then as well for them to keep you for so long yeah, then as well. Absolutely. They have a lot of other college entertainers. Uh, oh, a lot. With. Are you the only mentalist? No, not anymore. Oh, so I, that I, was a question I was wondering because sometimes agents like to work with one type of person or one type of act. In other words, I'll work with a rock man. I'll work with a country band. I'll work with a magician. I'll work with a mentalist or whatever. Right. But that's not the case. No, uh, I was getting so busy that they said we, we want another mentalist. Mm -hmm. And... Uh, so can you give us a list of names mm -hmm. because we need somebody to fill for you mm -hmm. and because you're so busy that yeah they, right yeah. exactly and you know so there would be people who wanted me they couldn't get me mm -hmm. uh, they, so i gave them a list of names they brought on somebody and eventually i just said you know what let me just do my thing i'm i'm sort of i want to say fading out of this field but mm -hmm. I'm, I'm i'm downsizing in this field mm -hmm. have at it so uh uh, there currently is only one mentalist within me, but th there have been as many as three. Wow. Now, whenever that you are doing shows at these universities, I assume that you'll do a hip act, hypnosis act, like one time, then come back and do mentalism within the same year? Sometimes? No, no. I, I, I almost never do hypnosis on college campuses and, and really haven't all the way through because I wanted to have the identity as a mind reader. Oh, okay. Yeah. Uh, I will occasionally do a hypnosis. But you don't want to conflate the two so this way they don't know who you are. What right, you are. exactly. That makes perfect sense then too. Another question is whenever you go back to these universities, do you do the same act or do you like rotate every four years or do you have new stuff coming in all the time? I, I, every year that I would go back, I would uh, put in about 30% new. Okay. So that by the time the few years came, it had cycled into something new. Mm -hmm. But I... I 
actually, after about 10 years, really stopped doing that too much and settled into one primary act and then kind of a B-show. So if I had done them uh, in one year, the next year I would do the B-show, which would be about 60% different. And what was kept, I kept consistent from year to year was the question and answer act. Mm-hmm. And then I would change out all the other material. Yeah, the Q&A is something that is, a. I think it had to be special to do that. I've, I've tried that myself, and I think I haven't tried it long enough or frequent enough to feel comfortable with it. That's a special skill. Well, and I, I had been doing the question and answer act since I was 18 years old, right. I was, uh, which probably wasn't wise at the age of 18. <laughs> but... You know, you don't know what you don't know don't at know, that exactly. age. Yeah. I have been inspired by watching Glenn Falkenstein do his blindfold sure. question and answer act. And uh, I said, I- I've got to do this. And so I did. Mm-hmm. And I have, that really was my introduction into mentalism. I had had no prior experience with mentalism. So, so your I first mentalism dove in the, big, the deep Q&A. end. Oh yeah. my gosh, you did dive in the deep end. <laughs> wow. <laughs> <clears throat> that's like somebody thinking, oh, I want to be a magician. And so they spend tens of thousands of dollars buying new illusions, even though they don't <laughs> know how they work. But <laughs> I mean, you knew how it worked, obviously. But uh, holy cow. Yeah, that is uh, a very difficult. Uh, well, actually, what's funny is that when I saw it originally, I didn't know how it worked. In fact, mm-hmm. I assumed that he was the greatest cold reader in the history of mentalism oh, okay. uh, to me. And then he said something in the middle of it that, that revealed it to me mm-hmm. uh, because it was at a magic convention. In fact, I, I will never forget. It was uh, at uh, Midwest Magic Jubilee in St. Louis, Missouri. Mm-hmm. And he had was performing his blindfold question and answer act. Yep. And if I recall correctly, and it's been quite a while, but he had a bunch of people with him on stage, kind of on, on a dais. So he was in the middle, and then they were sitting in chairs to his right and left. And then they filled out their cards. He's blindfolded. The cards are brought to him. And he's working with uh, a, a person who was well-known locally, uh, a man named Father Paul Ziffel. I don't know if that... I remember Paul right. Ziffel. Yeah, sure right, do. Exactly. And... He was struggling to receive the information through mm-hmm. his incredible psychic gifts. And Paul was saying, no, no, no. And finally he said, you know, you do write small, Father Paul. <laughs> this was kind of an inside thing for the magicians. All right, of a sudden, exactly. boom, the light came on for you. What was funny for that is that the light did not come on for oh, everybody. Okay, but it did for you. It did for me. At yeah. that point, I went, oh my gosh, this really? You can get this kind of impact with that kind of method, yeah. I've got to learn how to do this. <laughs> That's a funny story. <laughs> well, the first time that I saw Glenn work with Francis, uh, and he was doing that uh, act, it was in the early 80s, on mm-hmm. the palace. And I had never seen the act. It was fairly new in getting into magic. And I remember after his show was over, he went over there to stage right, and there were people lined up saying, you know, who's going to win the Super Bowl, or will I, I know, be losing my job? Isn't or, that amazing? You know, <laughs> Do you get those kinds of uh, people, or do you discourage sure. that? I, I I do discourage that, but I, I think any mentalist will get that. I, mm-hmm. I, I think that's you know going to be an occupational hazard. It is, but I, I I think that you have to try to discourage that because like I don't my powers are gone after the show. Well, that, which is actually exactly what I say. I don't, do I, and I never say that I have powers anyway. But yeah. uh, but yes, I will say you know it. I I can't do anything after the show. I, I, it, that section of it's the show so, wears me out yeah. so much. I just have to exactly. Stop. <laughs> That's what I say. I'm so mentally exhausted. I cannot uh, do any more. I've you know, like uh, there's a thing I do with the Peak Pack mm-hmm. uh, of uh, Brian Gillis, which is a fantastic thing, and uh, I do it like a 
like a body reading right. thing, mm-hmm. right? And uh, afterwards, I have had people, not just on one occasion, who will say to me, can you teach me that method? Because I'd like to know that kind right. of thing. For you when know. I play poker For, or whatever. Exactly. Yeah. Uh-huh. And so I have told them, well, I had recommended a couple books on body reading. There's a Which guy from the FBI, yep. you know, mm-hmm. whatever. Yeah. There are places they can go rather than me trying to say something. So, exactly. Yeah, but, you know, it just takes a lot of skill and time. You'll learn it. It's not something overnight. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it's, it can certainly be made into a, a believable kind of a thing. Uh, and along that line, what are your thoughts then on your powers? I've had this conversation with uh, Bob Cassidy about trying to define what your powers are. You I mean, you can't be doing everything as far as psychokinesis and, and mind reading. And uh, well, I found you know, that on the college campus field, it, it honestly didn't matter. I said, Oh, really? You're all over yeah, the board. Then. I was all over the board. Uh, I said, I am here for one and only one purpose. I'm here to freak you out. Hmm. And uh, whatever it takes, whatever it takes. <laughs> I said, you know, I'm not here to make you believe. I'm not here to make you not believe. I'm just here to mess with your mind. Mm-hmm. And and that gave me carte blanche to do whatever I wanted. And I think also it really felt to the college students that it came from an authentic place. Yes, I just loved this stuff, and I think they got it. Yeah. As as I got uh, into more corporate presentations, I really did start to narrow the kind of things that I presented. So really, my presentational claim, which I never make overtly, mm-hmm. is that I can do two things. Under limited circumstances, I can figure out what you've been thinking, mm-hmm. and I can sometimes get you to think what I want you to think. That's yeah. it. That's what I do. Yeah. So I never predict the future. I'll influence people to have a prediction come true, mm-hmm. but I will never predict the future. Do you ever go into talking about deja vu or anything like oh, that? Oh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I'll mention all those little psychological things that everybody experiences that intrigue them. Because they, then they can relate all of a sudden. Exactly. Like, yeah, I've had yeah. that experience, so this must be real kind of a thing. Yeah, well, how do you, after you finish with the show, kind of discourage everybody and close that door to keep people from coming up all the time? I mean, like, I would think, like at a corporate event, whenever you're going to be doing something, of course, it's not until after the dinner is over and you've already or done cocktails or whatever. It's not like people are going to be coming up to you because everyone's going home. The event's over. But sometimes, like in schools, they might see you later. And if they come up to you and say, you well, know. When they come up afterwards in schools, uh, what I do and have done for quite a long time is I say, you know, I never do any of the mind reading stuff after the show. Because I want you to remember what you saw on stage. I like that. Anything I can show you here is not going to be as exciting. But what I do show after the show is card tricks because that's my hobby. Okay. If you'd love to see a card trick and then they all flock around because they actually freaking love card tricks. Sure. They know those two are separate. I mean, Uh reading minds and everything is one thing, but you have separated, put that uh, Chinese wall basically between the two. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I like card tricks and this is my hobby and I'll show you some cool sleight of hand. Exactly. So you're still satisfying their need for them to come and touch the celebrity. Right. Which is a big part of why they've come. I mean, obviously a lot of them are coming. Let's see if you can tell me about me. I don't know (laughs) if I really believe it. And, uh, and so I say, you know, understand that the show is a psychological illusion. Mm-hmm. I've set you up like little dominoes and I've knocked you down. The things that I do on stage, I really can't do in front of you. Yeah. So let's have some fun with this other thing. And then they're totally fine with it. And another thing you do, uh, I would think, 
would be to your advantage is to have a larger audience. One of the things, like when you lectured at Magic Live a couple of years ago about the Scrabble game, mm -hmm. which I do now all the time. I'm love so it. glad to hear it. It's a great trick, <laughs> it isn't it? It is a fantastic <laughs> trick. I absolutely love it. And that's another one of those things. But it's things. not a small audience trick. It's, it's, it's a little bit larger Correct. Audience. I have to make sure I've got about 70 or more people. Right. And also not with the same company or who they're not talking with the next yeah. day at the water fountain. Right. You know, and that's the issue. I, you know, that was what I was going to ask you about those kinds of things. Do you ever have any problems with sometimes people talking about saying, well, he did this or that, or I had to write this down, or did you write something too? Well, or what one of the say? reasons I don't have problems with that is because I never do any of that kind of thing pre-show. Everything that the audience experiences, they experience together. So you do little or no pre-show? The only kind of pre-show that I will do is observing somebody really? and using that in huh. a routine. Huh. So I will. So you might hear somebody's name over while you're talking. Or... Right. I uh, see. Um, so I will use. I, I will bring some of that information into bear, but I, I don't do any information gathering. So I, they will never hear me say, you know, before the show, I had you write this down, but verify that you didn't show this to anybody. Um, everything that the audience experiences, they experience together. And that was really important to me for a couple of reasons. The, the number one reason was I had tried to use, I guess what we would call more sophisticated pre-show methods with college students, only to find that they didn't show up until literally minutes beforehand. <laughs> so you're frantically running yeah, around trying to get screwed, a few yeah. of them. Yeah, you could be. And, and the other is that I found that they did talk and compare notes. Mm. Uh, and this particularly happened in corporate work, uh, that they, they talked and compared notes. I would hear all the time, well, don't you need to kind of work the crowd before the show? The other mentalist we had had to do that. Mm -hmm. And I went, well, no, we don't all need to do that. And I, I like that. That's good. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it was another thing I had sent sometimes, like back at the cassette tape days, uh, I remember to a client and I was, had a double wrap and said, don't open this. And I called them and beforehand, this was before email and everything. And I uh -huh. said, when you receive it, know that you're not supposed to open it. I want you to bring it to the show. And, but then I had another envelope inside that saying, okay, you've gotten this far. Please don't open this envelope. You know? <laughs> so this way there'll be a surprise. Did they make everybody. it all the way to the bottom envelope? Uh, they did. Yeah. And, yeah. And so whenever they showed up, you know, then and it was the final trick that I did. Of course, it was opened all the way. And I just felt like, oh, man, can you verify that you just opened it and we have nothing you know, I had to backpedal so much, and the rest of the audience going, mm, he had to. There's no way that could have happened otherwise. And this guy was kind of totally freaked out. It's like, oh, my gosh, yes. And so it was his reaction on stage uh -huh. that kind of sold it, because I, I was just, I don't know what to do. <laughs> Has that ever happened to you? Um, <laughs> not exactly? Not exactly, but I, actually, I had a, a version of that. I mailed a cassette back in the old days. Yeah. Uh, when I was doing my theater show, uh, about the same time that, that you probably had seen it for the first mm -hmm. time, uh, the very first person who picked up their tickets in the box office would be given an envelope with the cassette and told to hang on to it. I remember that. Yeah. Well, one person went home with it, went back to their hotel. Apparently, they picked it up earlier in the afternoon and they forgot to bring it. So I, I, there's all of this buildup to know. Who has this cassette? <laughs> Nobody. Uh -oh. We left it in the hotel. Oh, my goodness. Uh, so what happened was that... They said, but we can go back and get it. It mm. didn't happen to be a particularly large crowd. And I said, what the heck? Go back. You did? You told yeah. me to go back? Oh, my god. Go gosh. back and get it. And in the meantime, I had time to kill. Yeah. And I said, so uh, let's uh, let's do a question and answer session. Any I'll answer anything that you want. And that was so popular 
that that became a feature in the theater show where I would always come back for a question and answer. Now you're talking about like a personal thing where they might say how to get started kind of a thing? Exactly. Yeah. So they get to know the mentalist. Right, exactly. You know, so questions and answers, anything you want. And and that became was so popular there that I, I brought it back and I for the four years that I ran my theater show I always finished with I'm just going to come out and sit and talk to you mm-hmm. you know I did the show and then said and Christopher will be back and yeah and you know answer any questions so I would sit down and say okay there's only one question I'm not going to give you an answer to and that's how do you do it mm-hmm. uh, I'll give you a little information but I'm not going to give you any details. Right. Other than that, right. anything. You can ask me about the people I talk about on stage. You can ask me about me. Mm-hmm. Knock yourself out. But do you ever teach anybody anything? I mean, I know like sometimes after a magic show, somebody say, well, teach me just one easy card trick or something. No. You I, don't I, ever? I, I okay. never do. Mm-hmm. I never do. I said, no, if you ever taught them like a magician's force or anything like that. or no. Nope. Okay. No, I never do. Okay. Good for you. Uh, so I was uh, further going back to the, the shows you were doing for four years. I saw the two. We talked about, what was it called? The Bait Shop or what was it? The Live Bait the, Theater. The Live yeah. Bait. And then you moved over to another theater, I think, where the Magic Cabaret. Wasn't that where um, uh, P.J. Murphy uh, worked? Uh, that- it could have been. I mean, a lot of us were using these theater spaces around yeah, that same whatever time. Whatever was available. Yeah. yeah, it was back then. Well, I remember in the first show that you had used my wife to to light the neon bulb mm-hmm. uh, kind of a thing. She was impressed with that. I thought that, too, that was one of the, the cool things. Uh, haven't seen that outside of a carnival. You know? No, the, the fluorescent lighting became my uh, really my my branding or signature effect really? okay. on college campuses mm. for a very, very long time. And I, I grew that and grew that and grew that. It started out as a dealer item that was not very reliable. And I had a friend who was a, an electronics guy rebuild it. Mm-hmm. And then we just kept enhancing it and 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 adding more more juice to it, literally, yeah. uh, to the point where it was capable of illuminating two large fluorescent, wow. you know, four foot fluorescent tubes. Mm-hmm. So uh, each held by a different person, and that was that was a great visual moment. I'm not sure. I think that's a great trick because I, I think anybody with a science bent probably already gets it, mm-hmm. but it, you know it. It's a perfect piece of visual branding. And there is a story behind that that might be interesting to the listeners. And that is when I first got onto the campus market, uh, the the big gun was, and actually remained for quite a long time, is one of the greatest college campus entertainers in the world, Craig Cargis. I remember Craig Cargis. And yeah. Craig's signature piece was uh, floating table, the old Thayer Owen style floating table. Not With the ring? Yes, exactly. Mm-hmm. Which I tried once and is painful. It is. <laughs> it is to. not an easy thing no. to do. Yeah. Uh, but he makes it look brilliant. Yeah. Well, it's not a low sander table by any means. He make he makes it look brilliant. Well, I had first heard about this, and and the first when I first heard about it, I thought, well, that's ridiculous. That's an obvious magic trick. No, that's not going to work. And then I saw him do it, and it was brilliant. Mm-hmm. But what really excited me about watching him do it was the way that it it impacted his marketing at college conferences. So they wouldn't say, let's get Craig Cargus. They would go, let's get the guy with the table. Oh, the table guy. Yeah, Okay. exactly. Because they're students and they're seeing probably 30 different performers exactly. over the course of this. Sure. And, it was a, and I said, I need a piece of visual branding. And that's how I ended up with the light bulbs. So they called you the bulb guy? Yeah. 
Really, those, they did. The, the, the guy with the like the, the fluorescent tubes, or yeah. The, yeah, exactly. Well, I think that's something that everybody needs is to have some sort of a hook that you mm-hmm. could use in in all of your marketing to have a good brand. Exactly, it's a big uh, kind of visual business card. Do you still do that at all? I don't. Why not? Uh, well, a couple of reasons, uh, but the main reason is that they're largely phasing out fluorescent tubes, mm. and so it's always kind of hit or miss whether you're actually going to get fluorescent tubes when you ask for them. Mm-hmm. Uh, probably about Because you can't half, travel with them, I guess. Right, you can't travel. So I would always have them provided, go get me these tubes. And I would, as it started to begin to phase out into more LEDs, which don't work right. um, for this trick, they have to be fluorescent. Uh, I would say, no, they must be fluorescent, not LEDs, but half the time I would get LEDs. LEDs. And um, the other issue is that uh, the components that we were using became unavailable and replaced them Mm -hmm. with components that were just getting unreliable. And so even when I got them, sometimes the trick wouldn't work anymore. No, not good. So it's like, let's It's got to be 100%. Right. It's got to be. So it it was time to retire it. Yeah. Well, that was great. So do you have a new hook now or something that you feel like you're the... XYZ guy, what is that thing? Or have you got something? Or now uh, they just know you. I mean, it's yeah, kind of right. like I'm no, Chris. Now they just I want know Christopher me. Carter. Um, but I mean, you know, the backbone of the show, regardless, has always been Q and A. And uh, where do you put that in the show? By the way, do you open like with a? And I was going to ask uh, where I put it in the show depends a little bit on the kind of show that it is. Huh. Um, for noon shows, I put it number two in the show, and uh, because it is unbelievably powerful at drawing a crowd. So mm-hmm. you're in the middle of a cafeteria. Nobody expected you to be there. Yeah. I open with the tossed out deck, which allows me to draw in people in, just start to peek and get their interest. And then I get people up on stage to blindfold me and move right into the whole blindfold Q&A. And have, they, have they written before the show or during the show? I have it during the show. Okay. Yeah. Ev- everything that happens, happens during the show. Okay. So blindfold me. I have them bring up objects. I identify the objects. That's... That, makes people who are passing by just go, what is this guy doing? Yeah, he's blindfolded over there. And, so, yeah. and then I'll say, if you look around on your table, you'll find a bunch of index cards and golf pencils. And uh, and then we segue into the Q&A portion of it. Mm-hmm. So that in those environments, I may start with like 30 people just all over the cafeteria area mm-hmm. and end up with a couple hundred. Wow. Uh, so that you put that second. Uh, that's a good place for that. So what would be your opening trick? Always tossed out deck. That's strong. I love the tossed out deck. Um, and that's not always my opening when I do evening shows, but in that environment, always my opening. Because I've routined it in a way that is almost like a busker would routine something. Uh, mm. You know, you do some piece of it with just one person and people are going, well, that's kind of interesting. And then you expand it out to the people who are in the area. Mm-hmm. And that little theatrical tweak begins to draw people in from all over the cafeteria area. So always the tossed out deck. Because they'll toss that to somebody else. Yeah, exactly. Get that around. Okay. What about Magic Square? Do you use Magic Square? Uh, I did try Magic Square for a season in my theater show. and um, Didn't go over? It, it went over great in the theater show, but it didn't go over well in the college, in the college show. Because no. the kids are not into math? or they're, <laughs> yeah, are they I think too they just hated the math. Okay. <laughs> I think they really didn't want it. And, and I had this, what I thought was a very clever wrinkle where um, I said, pointed to a prediction that was hanging, and I said, now, this prediction is going to get me out of a jam, and I, I guarantee you I'm going to get into a jam in a little bit. So I had somebody think of the two-digit number between 30 and 100, and I, I write all my numbers on the magic square, 
and I say now, I want to show you something. The numbers add to 72 this way and this way and this way and 72 this way. And it would just get really big. Right. But I hadn't asked them yet what their number was. So yeah. what was your number? And they would go, 71. And they would go, missed it by just one. <laughs> Off by one. But then I would point to the prediction. But remember, I said that would, and then it would say, it would add up to, in every direction, be off by one. Yeah, and, uh, and the theater people who, you know, were bright and clever folk, they thought that was hilarious. And they thought yeah. that was great. College students did not get that joke at all. They, they just kind of like, they just like, what over their head? And for to them, rather than going, wow, it was cool. He knew he was going to be off by one. They went, he was wrong. Well, you got it wrong. <laughs> That's interesting. That I was guess. a valuable lesson. College students don't do subtlety, really. Um, they well, they're learning black and white, I guess, in school. This is the way it is because you're going to pass or fail. Yeah, you know, it's right. A, B, or C, or whatever, and so you got to get a certain grade. And so they're learning a lot about that. And so mm -hmm. there are very few gray areas. So I could kind of see that, I guess. Right, well, that's 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 as good an explanation for the phenomena as any. Yeah. Huh. Um, and did you? We were talking about Craig Hargis the floating table. Did you ever do a floating table? Or you didn't want to be confused with Craig? No, I absolutely. Uh, that, that, the very last thing I would want to do is copy would, anybody else. Would copy material. anybody else. In fact, uh, I've really made it a practice to find out who my primary competitors in any market are and mm -hmm. just X off anything that they're doing. When you work trade shows, do you find it difficult to use mentalism to stop a crowd or do you do card tricks in a trade show? Well, I actually, I don't. I did work trade shows for a while. I thought you did for a while. And and then I just eliminated it altogether. It's not your not your thing. Right, exactly. I I really like being on stage. Yeah, you know what your uh, strengths are. And that's, I think, important that uh, people recognize their strengths. And I would say weaknesses. We all have weaknesses. Absolutely. But some that we're not as strong in, it's kind of like let those go and let's concentrate and focus just on our strengths. Right. So, yeah, I, I don't, I, I'm, you know, it's not entirely impossible that in the future I might go back to doing some trade shows. Uh, I think I'm a, in a, personally in a very different place than I was in those days. In those days, I, I was all about being on stage. I didn't like the, the kind of feeling that I was just pitching a widget off in the corner somewhere. <laughs> right. Right. And so working at corporate shows, are you like the after dinner entertainment then, or do you do strolling also? Do you have that as part of your package? No, it's not part of the package. I'm the after dinner entertainer. Only. Yeah. So you don't do cocktails at all? No. Okay. So have you ever done strolling mentalism? Yes, I have. And? And, uh, but that's I, just I, not for you I, either. No, it's not for me either. I, I have in my mind what a mentalist ought to be able to do. And that is? And that is stand on stage and point to people and reveal every little personal detail yep. about them. Yep. And uh, you, you, I can't achieve that when I'm doing strolling, and it drives me nuts. Mm -hmm. Wow. Uh, well, are you where you want to be? Or like, I know in Banachek's case, uh, when he was in college, he was still dreaming about Las Vegas for a long time. So yeah. I'm glad his dream came true. I mean, have you thought about where you want to go or do or yeah, cruise I am. ships? I, I, or? Well, I, actually, I, I have done some cruise ships uh, and I do enjoy them. Uh, but where I really like to be is my corporate work now, which isn't simply after dinner entertainer. I do... Uh, workshops? You know, yeah, I do as much workshops and keynote speaking as anything. And... Um, there I teach presentation skills. My hmm. shtick, or angle, if you will, is that the skills of the stage are really the same 
interpersonal communication skills that you will need in sales or management. Mm -hmm. And so I get to illustrate them with some of the mentalism that I do. But when I'm illustrating them, I'm always pointing out, look, the mentalism part, this is an illusion. You know, what I've just created is an illusion. But let me break down the body language and the scripting and explain to you mm -hmm. how, how thinking through a presentational process is the same thing as thinking through your customer service process. Mm -hmm. um, and the, the same body language that helps me connect with you and come across as trustworthy and credible is the body language that you're going to be using when you're out on the field with your clients. Right. Hmm. And do you normally come in as a speaker for like an hour or two, or are you one of the people who kind of handles that all day long and then does projects with them? No, I, I'm very much a keynoter. I come in okay. for an hour to an hour and a half, typically about 75 minutes is my sweet okay. spot. Okay. Gotcha. Because I've worked sometimes like all day with some clients, you know, I mean, they have other things going on or they've got activities or they're playing role playing games or something then as well. Right. But, yeah. And I, 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 I've done a little bit of that, but I'm, I'm almost primarily. exclusively a, a keynoter. And uh, do they have other kinds of keynote speakers as well? Or are you like the keynote at the end? I mean, or the... Well, I'll, I'll typically either be the, the beginning or the end. Okay, um, gotcha. And, and I am, I'm not entirely niched, but I have a significant niche of uh, ag retailers. I work in the agricultural field largely. And that's uh, a function of having grown up around mm -hmm. the Midwest farm. Yep. And, and yep. farm things. So I, I know the language. I understand and completely agree with that. Same thing with me. I was in the energy business, so I understand the not just the lingo, but also the business uh, of yeah, that. I exactly. mean, I, I've always envied uh, Charles Green, who could talk about pharmaceuticals. And I can't pronounce medications. <laughs> you know, it's like, oh my gosh, the things you have to learn. I mean, not just about medical equipment, but also new pharmaceutical drugs and, you know, different kinds of things. I mean, that's a lot different. Uh, you know, the easy thing, obviously, are selling toys. I mean, when people go to the toy company or, right. or whatever, you're, you got some little physical thing that you can show. But if, you know, you're having to talk about something of healing or somebody, or maybe you can cut and restore a stethoscope, and that's about the extent of it, you know, I can think of it. Well, so to give you an example, August is a meeting season for uh, seed selling. Okay. So people who, and actually a, a whole range of agronomy products, but uh, so uh, fertilizer too, but really seed sellers. Why do our meeting, are the meetings in August? Because harvest is coming. These, mm -hmm. these meetings are just before harvest. As soon as harvest is over, we're going to be selling these seeds again. Right. So, you know, this is kind of the, the wrap up for the previous year, the beginning of the next fiscal year. So if you are a person who has to go out into the field and uh, get new accounts among farmers, technically growers is the term that they will use, um, you have an interesting challenge. You have to know some very sophisticated science and mm -hmm. translate it into nuts and bolts issue for somebody who neither knows nor cares about any of that science. Right. And it really ultimately becomes about interpersonal communication. Hmm. And that's all sales right there. It comes right down exactly. to being able to talk to the common man and also to the, board, the person in the boardroom uh, and for both of them to understand that without you talking up or down to them. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And uh, so was sales, when we, I was going to ask you earlier about when you were at, in Michigan, did you study uh, theater or was it business? I did. I, I was working on a PhD in theater mm -hmm. and um, I, I became really fascinated with theatrical movement, which is essentially, you know, how actors would communicate emotion through movement. Mm -hmm. And so that worked beautifully with the whole <laughs> mentalism thing because I really did get to dig into uh, 
the the the, the genuine research of body language and how it operates. Mm -hmm. But um, ultimately, I, I I got doctoral candidacy, which meant it was time for me to go write my dissertation. But two years into that program, I knew I had absolutely no interest in going any further. Mm -hmm. You know, I was stubborn enough. Let me get through, get the candidacy, and then I'm out of here. I didn't tell them that I was out of here, but I was. Yeah. And so you I... mentally checked out. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> well, uh, as I said, as far as where you want to go from here, what is the long-term thing that you would like to uh, do? Like, where do you see yourself in five or 10 years from now? Yeah, I, I think I see myself uh, having gone all the way into the uh, the speaking and the corporate entertainment. And getting out of the college market? Yeah, I, th I think so that I, there will always be some that I keep as long as they're willing to have me on campus. But, you know, it is largely, uh, the college field is largely a game for the young, and I'm not. Mm -hmm. So as a mentalist, you have a longer shelf life than a lot of kind of college entertainers. Mm -hmm. But the, you know, the travel that's involved, it's not for me anymore. Is Mike Super still involved in doing a lot of uh, I, you know, funny. I met Mike Super at uh, Magic Live a uh, little uh, year, about two years ago. Yeah. And uh, we caught up because we had been in the college sure. market together all the time. And uh, no, Mike said he has he doesn't really do colleges anymore. He's out. He, do? he, do his, he performs on military bases and theaters. Okay, and uh, and I, I I follow him on Twitter, so I get to see a lot of where he is. So he seems to be doing great. Yeah, I didn't know that. I haven't talked to him been a couple of years. Last time I saw him, also was at mm -hmm. uh, Magical Eye. But I remember also he was on America's Got Talent. Seems like he right went pretty far for that. And I think was he on the next phenomenon? I think with that Chris Angel show. Uh, uh, I think he might have been. I don't remember. I thought he won that possibly. Because there was something. Yeah, maybe he did. Yeah, maybe it was something did. which I know he won some money uh, with some one of those <laughs> well, that's always good. reality shows. <laughs> yeah, that that is true. Um, and so, if somebody was going to be wanting to get into the college market, you've just kind of hit on it, which you'd said, Christopher, that it is for the young. And so, should they be? Tr how how can they get their feet wet in getting into the college market nowadays? Well. Two aspects of this. Number one, I, I'm not. I don't want to discourage anybody from doing it, but it is not the same now as when I, I got into it. The, the, when I got into it, colleges would program heavily throughout the entire school year. Now they program heavily in the first few weeks of each semester mm -hmm. because their budgets are so much lower than they used to be mm -hmm. that they're going to be doing free events later. So they they bring in the paid events early to create the impression of what a college event can be okay. for the students mm -hmm. to kind of train them into it. So there are largely fewer opportunities. And I would say that I, I on the whole, would not recommend somebody treat the college campus as a primary market anymore. Hmm, really? Okay. Um, I, I just don't, I think it's got to be part of a mix. Mm -hmm. and, and so most of the guys I see now, who young guys who are doing it, are doing colleges and cruises and uh, whereas in, in my busy time, I could do it throughout the entire school year and mm -hmm. take the summer off. Yeah. But, um, yeah, how to do it, the very best way you've got to be seen by the college campus buyers. And I think it's most effective to do it with an agent. But uh, you've got to go to conferences. That's what I was going to say. Do they need to find an agent to get into the NACA uh, conferences? No, I would say case, go uh, go and join, like, especially if you're going to, go to NACA, just go to a region mm -hmm. and get yourself a, a booth. Okay. And do booth demos. 
because... Well, the first thing I think would be to go to one of those and just kind of look. Yeah, absolutely. Yes, yeah. right, right. Don't jump into it because you don't know what you're doing. Right. Find out what the other people are doing and then see how you can fit. I agree with that, actually. Go sit, watch the acts. But once you're, you're interested, if you, uh, you know, reach out to agents and say, here I am, mm-hmm. and there's a pretty good chance that you'll find an agent who has some interest in you mm-hmm. because they're constantly looking for new talent. I'm sure that's true. And uh, same but, thing with cruise ships. You know, absolutely, right? Really people. Absolutely. And but uh, assuming that you've had a hard time finding an agent, go do booth demos. Mm-hmm. Uh, you'll try to get a showcase, but you almost certainly won't get a showcase. You'll apply for it, but you probably won't get it. The showcases are no longer as powerful at, as a booking mm-hmm. device as they once were, and booth demos are, are really powerful. So you're basically doing trade show stuff at your booth. Explain what a showcase is. I know, but feel... So a showcase uh, at a college booking conference will be a, a short slot on a, on a show of acts where the, the people, the students who've come to the conference are looking at acts to hire. Mm-hmm. And so there will be... Uh, it, they keep changing the amount of time you get for a showcase slot. But let's what do you say, mean, like 15 minutes or something? Well, they've shrunk it down from 15 minutes so that uh, sometimes they, you know, they've got these showcases where they, people only get like five minutes now, which I just They're kind hate. of used to that like AGT kind of a thing. Yeah, right, exactly. Off yeah. But let's say you get 10 minutes. And so, you know, there will be like seven acts on this showcase. Comedians and everything. Comedians, bands, bands. everything. Um, and uh, so the audience is filled with students who are representatives of their college's student activities committee. And they're taking notes as to who they want to bring to their campus. Sure. But now they do less and less booking on site. So they go and they go back to their colleges and then they say, oh, this person we saw was great. Now let's reach out. Mm-hmm. So the ability to do the co-op buying or the block booking has diminished substantially. Mm-hmm. And you can go to a showcase and not come away with very many gigs. Wow. But if you keep following up with those colleges, mm-hmm. n- you still will get the gigs. You just have to consider that the sales process doesn't enter, end at the conference. Right. It's an ongoing thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Interesting. A lot of really great advice and things you've given here. Thanks very much. Well, as I start to close, the name of my podcast is called The Magic Word. And so I'm curious to always find out what a person's philosophy is. What do you live by? It's not necessarily a word like abracadabra. Which, what, what's important to you? Uh, what's important to me is to be authentic to my values and my passions. I, I, you know, I always want the show to represent who I am and to seem like a genuine expression of me. So that you're going to be the same on as off stage. Right. More or less. More or less. I mean, yeah, you're kind of a glorified uh, yeah. guess on stage, what you normally would be. But yeah, be authentic. I love that. Great. Christopher, thank you very much. Thank you. It's good to have you on here and good to be a friend. I'm, My uh, pleasure. Glad you were here. So for the Magic Word Podcast, that was Christopher Carter. This is Scotty out. Wow, Scott, that was a big conversation. (laughs) A lot of stuff in there, wasn't it? Yes, indeed. (laughs) Thank you very much, Chris, for being my guest here on this week's episode. It was just phenomenal. Man, what a ton of advice and everything that you gave. I mean, this was like a mini lecture. It was a great conversation in which uh, I learned a lot, and I hope that uh, I, I know the listeners have been learning from then as well. So thanks for sharing your ideas, and also thank you for your passion in everything that you do. I want to remind all the listeners, by the way, to make sure if you have not signed up for the pod letter, please do so, so that way you keep up with who's going to be on from week to week, and also uh, you will get some suggestions from the archives. 
And also, I would like to have remind you, I guess, that now is the season in which a lot of people are buying a lot of things, and most things are purchased through Amazon nowadays. And you can help support this podcast, not only with your generous donations and pledges, it's about that time of the year to do that kind of a thing, and for me to make that appeal, but also if you will purchase your Amazon products by going to the magicwordpodcast.com, and at the bottom of every page there is a banner that says we are an affiliate of Amazon. If you click on that graphic banner, it will open up your Amazon page and therefore anything that you buy, uh, pretty much most of what you buy, we get a few pennies on that and a little bit of that uh, time will mount up and so we get a few bucks here and there. So every little bit helps and we thank all of you for your generous support, those particularly who are friends of the Magic Word who have donated and pledged uh, certain amounts through PayPal and through Patreon and if you haven't done that, please check that out. Please do that as well. We can certainly use your help. Also, uh, since you are going to be looking to buy things uh, during this holiday season, uh, why don't you let other people know what it is that you want? I know some people's spouses actually listen to this podcast then as well. Oftentimes they might be with the magician when they are uh, in the car or perhaps at home. I've had some who say they go to sleep listening to my podcast here. <laughs> it's pretty flattering. So both the uh, husband and wife will uh, be listening to that in the evening. My point being is that if you'll go and use the feature called SpeakPipe, which is a little widget that's uh, on the podcast page that's on the blog on themagicwordpodcast.com, and you can leave it like a 90-second message. And just if you would, just leave your name and where you're from, and also just a greeting if you would like for uh, your friends and loved ones for the holidays to tell them that you're thinking of them. And if you would also like to say, by the way, I would like to have such and such or a certain new trick that's coming out, that's a pretty gentle hint for letting them know what it is that is on your wish list for this magical season. So again, just please go and use the speak pipe feature. I've had several people who have used that and we've communicated back and forth with some private uh, voicemails. But uh, if you uh, leave a message and, and uh, say that it's okay, I will publish this in upcoming episodes between now and Christmas. Well, I think that's probably a wrap for this week. We've had a lot of information here and it's a lot to digest. So I will let you do just that. And so, until next week, stay well, get booked, and remember to be authentic to your values and your passion, and make every performance a genuine expression of you. This is Scotty out. 